Before words, before sound, the lamb had been slain, all the notes written down, and each drop of blood penned the unending score. The glorious anthems of grace
My goodness, praise God. That's amazing. Thank you guys so much. And um, I just found out they're available to come back some. So we're going to, you know, we're going to, we want them to come back. And uh, well, this has been an amazing weekend. I just want to greet you. Uh, Alex is going to come in a moment and uh, give an official welcome to our visitors and those that are watching online. And, um, and then we have a group that's going to dance, and then we're going to hear from a man that I, I shared the other night. I, I don't know him after the flesh, Joel Richardson. But that's not a bad thing because he said we're not to know one another. But I've, I know him after the spirit, and he's a man that carries the word of the Lord for this season and time. And uh, so I'm really excited. I've been excited about him coming and being in this this little behind this in this pulpit, and uh, we don't call it that anymore. But you know, there've been a lot of people come through this place, but most of them were those whom God sent, and they had a word in season. So I know that Joel is going to be a part of that. This weekend's been amazing. We've been in a conference. Uh, you guys may not know, but it's been glorious. And I just want to thank Deborah and Jean Paul and Escoda for leading the way, the charge, for having vision for this one new man, East meets West. And uh, it's been an incredible time. We got to re get reconnected with Cameron and Susie. We've known them since they were... <laughs> no, 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 no. They've known us since we... No, no, no. We've known each other a long time. But um, just feel like there's something fresh. And seeing what they're doing in Iran, it's just amazing what God is doing in the earth right now. And I've shared with you what is happening in Uganda and the things that we're a part of. And we're on Eternal Life TV in the Middle East and uh, Jacob TV. It's, I don't know, God's opening doors. There's no way we could have planned this. You know what I mean? This is just a sovereign time. Well, I want to share a few things this morning because something God's put in my heart and... Uh, and then Alex will come. Next week, you know the lady that was here? We had this thing called the One Blood Revival. And we had many of the First Nations, you know, Chief Big Pond was here. I mean, many people. It was an amazing time. And we met this lady that's Moravian, who her husband could not get back to America because of all these mandates. He's been in Germany. She's coming next week just to give a little more information about the Moravian wells of which all these banners are for. But she told me she had a breakthrough. Remember how we prayed? Shirley prayed. Some of you guys prayed for her. I think her husband's home. But anyway, I'll let her uh, tell us about that. And uh, then there's going to be another guest next week. I would love to tell you who it is, but I can't. I can't. But I found out we can introduce her next week. Because I thought we had, everything had to be top secret. They said, no, we can introduce her. So I'm amazed, God, that you bring people like that. Everybody will know who she is or who her family is. But anyway, it's been an incredible journey in Moravian Falls. And I feel like in many ways it's just begun. And um, so I want to share a few things. I was thinking of skipping it. In my own mind, I would just skip. And then I woke up and the Lord said, you don't skip. You share. And just take a few moments. But uh, this week I had a, you know, it wasn't an open vision, but it was, I saw a treadmill that had gotten out of control. And that was probably, you know, the Holy Spirit telling me, go to the treadmill. And, and so I do that. I try my best. 
a few times a week, but this one you don't want to get on because it's just going faster and faster and faster. I saw it. It's going faster and faster and louder and louder. And I was just, the thought came to my mind, that's what's happening in this hour. We're racing toward a number of events that are biblical. We've, they're in the scripture. We just have to read. But they're events for which the church must be ready physically. We've got to be ready physically. Quit the sugar. I'm telling myself that, you know, you've got to be ready physically. You've got to be ready, you know, emotionally. We're to be those that have a sound mind, not those that are going crazy. Because some people are going to go crazy seeing all the things that are happening on the earth. They, they'll be overcome with fear. And we know what Jesus said about that. But most of all, ready spiritually. Now, I want you to go real quick to James 5. Because this is what I want to share before Alex comes and we'll receive the offering. And uh, James chapter 5. Because this was quickened to me. And, you know, we want to be those... You know, the Bible is not just some historical document. We want to know what it said. We want to know what God is going to say. We, know how, we want to know how the story ends, but we're in the midst of the story. And if the Lord gives you light on a passage, even though you've read that many, many times, you need to walk in the light while you have the light. Because we're not called to walk in darkness. Many are going to be walking there in this day. And we are going to follow the Lamb wherever He goes and we're going to walk in the light of life. The word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto our path. So let me read it, okay? You guys with me? Look in verse 1. Come now. This is a word for the day. It's what's happening. I'm going to show you what we need strategy. How are we going to survive these times? You know, just because you get emotionally high on a Sunday, that ain't going to work. We need the word. Be people of the spirit and people of the word. Come now. You rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. You know, I heard there have been more billionaires made over the last two years. The rich have gotten richer and the poor have gotten poorer. Many have lost their businesses. So I'm reading this for a much larger audience than is in this room or is on the web this morning. Come now, you rich. For your miseries that are coming upon you, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. You know, the Lord said, lay up treasures in heaven where the moth can't destroy. On the earth, the moth can come in and, and have a heyday. And he will, and your gold and your silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat up your flesh like fire. You've heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, and you did things that were fraudulent, they cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You've lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You've fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You've condemned, and you've murdered the just. He does not even resist you. So I'm going to read the rest of that in a moment because it's a strategy. But I think that's a pretty incredible passage. Let me just wrap it up. This is the last day's revelation. How do you know that? Because it says these guys heaped up treasure for the last days. We've got to know how to live in this season and time. You can't live as if you've always lived. 
old revelation was pretty good, but the new, we got to follow the revelation, which is Jesus. He's being revealed. Anyway, I need strategy. And then the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. I could name some of the names of those that are getting rich, but you know who they are. They're the ones who are perpetrating all the things going on in the earth. Then it says the treasures on earth versus the treasures in heaven. We're to lay up treasures in heaven. You're not going to be poor if you're laying up treasures in heaven. They can take all they want. One guy said, you'll have nothing and you'll be happy. The reason we'll be happy is, is because our treasures are being laid up in heaven. And then you can, they condemned the just. They rendered judgment. Then they murdered the innocent. You can call it genocide. You can call it eugenics, abortion, population control. You can call it... Um, you know, biological warfare, whatever you want to call it. They murdered the just. It's in the scripture. You know, the Lord said, don't fear those that can kill the body. But fear the one that, after, you know, can toss the body and soul into hell. You fear God, you don't fear men. And we know that. And then there was no resistance. It says they do not resist you. That's what puzzles me. It's like resistance is futile. They seem to be getting away with it. But then look what happened. It reaches the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You know who that is? The Lord of hosts. All of a sudden, the Lord of hosts took notice. The Lord of heaven's armies. And I have a feeling heaven's armies right now are on men. They're, they're on alert. They're being prepared. It's pretty big. And then, you know, the subtitle, this is what amazing. Even the subtitle, whoever wrote well, the Holy Spirit wrote it, but whoever gave the subtitle had it right because it's the rich oppressors will be judged because it reached the ears of the Sabbath. In other words, it's a day of reckoning. And verse 5 says a day of slaughter. And I don't know what all that's going to look like. I just know it. it's going to look like a whole lot. Now, here's the instruction, verses 7 through 12. You know the, the two guys that, well, let me read it. Okay, because I'm still in my length of time because I want to give Joel all the time he needs. But anyway, look, let's read it. Therefore, be patient. Brethren, any brethren, sistren, yeah, you guys, we're all, that's who we are. Until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it. Until it receives the early and latter rain, you also be patient, establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble, complain against one another. Brethren, lest you be condemned, behold the judge standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job, and you've seen the end intended by the Lord, that all the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth. Let your you know, yes be yes and your no be no. Okay, there are two guys that we have to identify with, unfortunately. Actually, it's fortunately, if you know the rest of the story. But there are two men mentioned in this, referring to the last days of which you and I are going to identify with. You know the two guys? Anybody? Job. You can read about him, Job and Elijah. Now, you know, Job, blameless, right before the Lord, 
His wife said, why don't you just curse God and get out of this? You know, you could end it right now. And he said, shall we accept good and not accept adversity? You remember that. And then Elijah, you know, he was praying a mighty man. He was just like, he, say he was just like me. Elijah, just like us, beset with weakness. He was not a super saint. He was a man of God that had faith and a God that could do whatever God said he could do. And, uh, but he was a man of prayer. He prayed it wouldn't rain and it wouldn't rain. And then he prayed, let it rain, and it rained like crazy. You know, I was thinking about the prayers today. One of the prayers we can pray is found over in Isaiah 28, 17. It goes like this. My wife shared this with me this week. This is how we pray right now for our nation. Also, the Lord, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet. The hail, now that's heaven's hail, not hell's hail. I can show you, it's what it is, it's the hail. The hail will sweep away the refuge of lies. Your covenant of death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol or the death, hell, and the grave will not stand. We should pray that kind of prayer. Okay, here's a strategy. Chapter 5, verses 7 through the end. Here's what he's telling us that are alive on the earth at this time in this nation. And if you think you're here by accident, you, you've missed it. You've been planned to be on the earth for such a time as this. You're an American for such a time as this. If, you'd, if, you'd, if you were supposed, supposed to be born in 1850, the Lord could have figured that out. No, you're alive at 2021 and all this is going on so that you'll stand. You know, one of those wells is the well of truth. John Huss wrote that. John Huss said, we must defend the truth, stand for the truth, speak the truth, live for the truth, and if need be, die. And he died. He was burned at the stake. They literally walked him by this bonfire where they were burning his books because he had the gall to you know, go against the religious order of the day. And anyway, they, then they strung him up and burned him at the stake, so he left us a little saying. He lived that saying. Anyway, what do you do? Number one, be patient, long-enduring, long-suffering. Say long-suffering. I hate that word, long-suffering. I don't like it. I'm just being honest, because you know what it means? Long-suffering. Why does that have to be in there? Endurance, until the coming of the Lord. You know, there are some circles that you never hear about the coming of the Lord anymore. I can tell you, who they're very close to us. It's as if it really is some secondary. No, it's a main thing. You know, the three greatest events in history are right now, I can tell you, when the Lord came. God so loved the world, he sent his son. He came, that's a great event. I mean, if you know that. Secondly, when he came out of the grave. That's a great event, the resurrection. The resurrection, this is major. That is the major. And then it's coming again. So anyway, the last day church is going to pray that a lot. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Please, even so. I know now what that means. And then the next thing, establish your heart. Be mentally settled. And again, the emphasis, because the coming of the Lord is at hand. You can endure until the Lord comes. He endured the cross for you. You can endure and wait around until you see him again in all of his glory. Does this make sense? So establish your heart. Don't grow weary. 
And then there's a warning, don't grumble or complain. You know what the Lord did to the folks that murmured and complained in the wilderness? He sent the destroyer, and the destroyer destroyed them. And I know that doesn't fit with some people's theology. I could care less because it's in the book. We preach the word. The Lord said, preach the word. Be ready in season. You don't try to appease anyone. You, you stand before me. Anyway, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And then persevere in suffering. That's verse 10 and verse 11. You know, one of the blessings is I got to get reconnected with Payman, Cameron's brother. Payman has had 72 surgeries. Is that what he said? 70? Who has 72 surgeries? I've never heard of that in my life. And Payman, he's, anyway, such a precious man. I told him last night, I said, Payman, you really get to live, you know. You know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That's real Christianity. And, uh, you know, they put sometimes my articles in the Morning Star Journal, and they, the December issue just came out, and Rick put one of the articles I'd written. It's called, um, you know, the, the Morning Star, the reward, the ultimate reward. It's out of the book of Revelation. And I opened that by quoting this guy. I read this book called Live Not By Lies. You know the spirit of Antichrist. It's, there's no room for any, it, no lies of the truth. You got to draw a line. Either you live by the truth or you die by your lies. One or the other. You have to live by truth. Truth. Jesus is the truth. But anyway... Here's what one guy said. He said, no Christian has the power to avoid suffering entirely. It is the human condition. What we do control is how we act in the face of it. Will we run from it and betray our Lord? Or will we accept it as a severe mercy? The choices we make when put to the ultimate test depend on the choices we make today. And then the next thing, remember for the believer, there's an end intended by the Lord. Remember that in Job's life? He lost everything. He could have said, God, I quit. It's not worth it. But there was an end intended by the Lord. He restored everything. And then the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And then the last thing in verse 12, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, be resolute in this hour. Make your mind up on some things before you get to face those things. So that when that time comes, you will have already chosen, made your decision. You know, it's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You've got to make up your mind. Because it's going to get interesting on planet Earth. And there's going to be a church that's going to rise up triumphant, I'm telling you. 72 surgeries, are you kidding me? That doesn't even make sense. He's still alive. He's alive. He's more living than people that hadn't had any surgeries. And I thank God for that. So I want to just pray that God will impart what I just shared with you. And then you come up, um, Alex, and greet, receive the offering. Then they're going to dance. And then you take all the time you need, okay, Joel? It's only like 11.03, man. We, we never get out. We're not worried about what time we get out. There'll be days we'll show up at this old barn and stay from sunrise to sunset. 
because there won't be anything else to do. Besides, we're going to have to have a big God, and we're going to have a big God. So, Lord, I pray for faith, for what I shared. You said your word never returns void. And, Lord, you know I was willing not even to say a word, but you told me you better. So I did. And I thank you that your word will not return void. It will accomplish your purpose. I pray for a release of faith among the people. Great courage and great hope. Great expectation in the name of our God. Lord, thank you. Everyone in this room and those that are watching gets to live at a time like this. We get to live. We get to know you in the fellowship of your sufferings. Thank you, God. We get to do that. And we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' strong name, and everyone said, amen. Good morning. It's been a blessing to be here. I've, uh, I've always wanted to visit Moravian Falls, particularly this community, ever since I've heard about it. And it's been a blessing to be able to finally do so. Um, Manasseh. So feed the flag of Fiji right above you, right? Oh, what's this one then? With the bird of paradise. Really? <laughs> so, so look behind you, like up on the wall back there. What is that? Really? Oh, I was, I was sitting there all proud of myself because I knew the flag of Fiji. So where, so, so where is it? I think it's hiding. Oh, okay. But so it doesn't, you guys don't have that bird, a bird on yours? I don't know what, I'm just dumber than I thought. <laughs> Stop it. So I, I said to myself, don't tell any jokes when you get up because you have a very serious word and you don't want to soil the, um, the, the seriousness of what, what you're going to share. So the title of my message this morning is A Word for America. I could actually even call it A Word for Morningstar. That's probably a little audacious, but from the prophecy of Habakkuk, let me turn off my Wi-Fi. Before I jump into what I feel as though the Lord has given me, I want to just share a little bit, introduce myself personally, and um, tell a little bit of my personal story. And in doing that, it will sort of tie into some of the things that I'm going to share this morning. So I, uh, I came to faith in 1991. I'm, the scriptures say, you know, to be aware of who we are, but don't forget who you were. And so who I was was just some stupid little weed dealer who lived in his divorced mother's basement. And uh, so, um, I mean, really, that's who I was, um, nominally Catholic at best. And really, I, I should be dead and in hell or in prison right now. But by the grace of God, for some reason, just out of the blue, he opened my eyes and uh, it was kind of a weird story because, again, I'm from Boston, but I ended up in Memphis, Tennessee, won't get into the back, back story, and ended up in a tent revival meeting in a field behind a Piggly Wiggly. Um, you guys got Piggly Wigglies, right? And it's now a Dollar General, but so I ended up in a, 
in a field in the outskirts of Memphis, a couple blocks over from Elvis Presley Boulevard, and well, I guess it's right in sort of the heart of Memphis. And it was uh, August 20th, 1991. I was 19 years old, and we had driven in a little, um, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, wh wh who made the pup, the truck, the pup? It was a little diesel pickup truck. Was it? Anyway, yeah, it was something like that, one of these. So my buddy and I, we had driven from Boston to Memphis. That's about, that's about 24 hours on the road at the end of August with no air conditioning. And back in, you know, that was pretty normal back then. But um, so we got to this tent revival meeting, and my buddy legitimately wanted to get baptized. So he went and found the preacher and said, you know, could I get baptized? And I thought to myself, um, you know, this is much better than going into like a Taco Bell bathroom and, you know, washing up. So I said, can you baptize me as well? <laughs> like it was legitimately just to cool off and clean up. And um, I know that's horrible. But then what happened is the Holy Spirit just confronted me during the meeting and really just said, you know, your entire life is just a complete lie. And I was like, you know, and I was this fighty kid from Boston that hemp's going to save the world, and I would argue with my teacher, you know what I mean, just arrogant little liberal pothead. And, uh, which is funny that there's, even in the drug world, there's Pharisees, you know. <laughs> Thank thee, Father, that thou hast not made me like the lowly meth heads. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, pride is everywhere. But um, anyway, I got saved, and it was very important after coming to faith because I got saved in the context of miracles and, and legitimate stuff, but it was a mixture. Um, there were, I'll tell the story, there was, you know, typical Southern holiness tent revival, and people, everybody falling and shaking, and I'm, you know, I'm going, what in the world? I had no grid for any of this. I'm from Boston, nominally Catholic. We don't have tent revival, sawdust tent revival meetings. And um, so I'm, and I'm very skeptical, and I'm kind of watching this. And it all happened right when this movie came out with Steve Martin, who plays a charlatan tent revival preacher <laughs> called Leap of Faith. And I just watched that, and here I am. I'm like, oh, let's watch the show. And everyone's, you know, put on a show. And then this one guy walked up, and it was, you know, Southern. It was probably, I'm going to say, like 85% black. The preacher's white. Interestingly, he's still preaching. I want to say the guy's in his 90s. He's like Isaiah the prophet or something. But um, this guy walked up, and you could tell that he just wasn't part of the culture. He was probably, I'm going to say, a man, white hair, probably 60. And... I say he wasn't part of the culture, so he walked up. There was a line of people to be prayed for for healing, and the preacher was funny. He, he, he kind of like Bob Dylan with the harmonica. He would have the microphone mounted here, like with this big rig, just so he could pray for people and have his hands free, you know. Um, what, what, what's a Bob Dylan lyric? Anyway, um, and he pro the guy probably did play the harmonica too, but um, he, 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 plays, he prays for this guy, and then he says, okay, brother, um, has anything happened? And then he hands him the microphone, and the guy just kind of goes, so this is why I said he wasn't part of the culture, because everyone else would just start immediately start shouting and screaming. It was like everyone's getting instantaneously healed, and he just kind of went, uh, uh, 
And he just walked off. And he said, he said, that he prayed for me, so what's going on? He said, I'm blind. And I could see, I was sitting in the back, I could see when he walked by that his eyes were all milky. I don't know what that's called. Your pupils are basically, what's that? Severe cataract. I mean, they were all like, his eyes were all white. And so he just kind of did that, like, and he walked out. Now it's dark by this time, and he walks out in the field, and all the cars are parked. And so I kind of watched him, and he goes out, and he kneels down in the grass, and he's praying out loud. And I walked over to him, and again, I'm just a little long-haired 19-year-old kid, and I'm and I said, so what happened? You know, like what's, and I start interviewing him. He kind of turns to me, and he starts talking to me. And basically what he said from memory, again, this is a long time ago, but he said, he goes, he said he'd been blind almost from the time that he was about 10 years old. But he said, he goes, I can see, he goes, it would be like looking through a coffee stir. He goes, I can just see like, you know, a little tiny bit. And then he said, but when he prayed for me, I started being able to see a little bit. And then he's sitting there, and he raises his hands. He's kneeling down. He raises his hands, and he's trembling, and he's sobbing as he's talking to me. And he goes, I can see the stars right now. And it just sent a lightning bolt. I was like, so this is real. Like, all of this is real. And he was like, it's very real. You know, Jesus is here, is what he said. (laughs) And I walked back to the meeting, and he was preaching. He was reading from the words of Matthew. The axe at the root of the tree has already been laid, therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I mean, he could just yell and scream for like an hour straight. For every branch that does not bear fruit will be cast into the fire. And uh, the Holy Spirit, that's when he just said your entire life is. He said the trajectory of your life, you don't have the moral breaks you're going to be dead within a few years. Um, and I just said, you're absolutely right. And he said, if you don't give me your complete life right now, you're going to hell. And so then we started negotiating. <laughs> I was like, all right, so we'll just, we'll just get high like once a week from now on. Like, that's a good compromise, you know, the Lord's like. So finally I gave my life. I didn't understand anything. And uh, gave my life. Okay, so that's how I got saved. So then it was so important that I decided I wanted to go to Bible school shortly thereafter. It was so important that I found a school that I could go to that believed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that believed in miracles. I'm starting to understand the landscape of Christianity. And so long story short, the Lord led me to Kansas City at the time, pre-incarnate manifestation of IHOP University, whatever it was called back then. Before IHOP existed, it was, you know, Mike Bickle, Kansas City. But this was back in the heyday when Morningstar was really just popping. And, you know, it was Francis Frangipan and Rick Joyner. And I was just so young and excited. And, you know, it, constantly I would check in, oh, what, what are they saying on the Elijah list? And what's the Morningstar prophetic bulletin at? You know, and it, you're tracking with it and you're talking. And, well, this guy said this and this prophet said this. And, um, and it was just such an exciting time. And then I'll tell this funny story. So it was also Toronto's going on up in Toronto and you know, all the controversy with Kansas City and the vineyard and all this kind of messiness. And, uh, but then also, so if you've ever been to Kansas City, so the church, which is now called Forerunner, is basically shares the parking lot with an assembly of God. 
Well, when I first got saved, I was going to an assembly of God, Pentecost. I got saved in the Pentecostal tent revival meeting. Well, so they would be having these meetings at IHOP that were basically like Toronto Airport Vineyard, charismatic Holy Spirit kind of stuff. And then they were having meetings next door in the assembly of God, which were um, uh, Pensacola revival stuff. And so I would go to one and enjoy it, and then I would go over to the other one. And then the guys in the assembly of God would be like, yeah, well, basically, the Toronto airport stuff, that's the counterfeit. That's of the devil. But what's happening here is of the Lord. And I was like, it's the same thing, guys. You know, like, it's pretty much the exact same thing. It was just so funny. But just the way the body of Christ is. But we get in our little ghettos. We get in our little things, and we learn how to speak particular language and behaviors and different things. And so then what happened in my life, and I'll just be real transparent, I got married, you know, life happens, and the next thing you know, you know, you're like single, and you're like, Lord, how long? And all of a sudden, like, you turn around, and and you're like, what? What just happened? You know, like, and um, babies are coming, and, you know, so forth. And uh, we, we were just a hot mess when we got... Like, the first year of our marriage was a nightmare. Like, it was just horrible. And we were fighting, and we actually got separated uh, within, like, the first couple months of getting married. I'll just tell this some funny trivia. So, how many people know the name Sean Bowles? Like, pretty well-known minister. I slept on his floor for a few months when we were divorced. He had, <laughs> Sean had this, like, California king. And, uh, he, and, you know, and I slept on the floor next to his bed. But, I, obviously, I didn't want to be in bed with him, but... Um, and then another funny trivia uh, back in the day, because we were both young, you know, and I, there was one time, I don't know, we're goofing around, and I don't know, I was an idiot. I, Sean's a big boy. I picked him up over my head. I, I picked Sean Bulls up over my head. <laughs> this is horrible. I heard my abdominal lining rupture. I gave myself a hernia, and I presently have like a 10-inch scar as a result of... Uh, Sean Bowles. <laughs> but see, at the time I was a student, so I went to this teaching hospital downtown where all the homeless go for free surgeries. They don't do no laparoscopy, you know, so they just, and, but it was free, so praise God. Um, so just funny stuff. But anyway, then, you know, Sean moved out to California. I haven't talked to him in years. But um, so these, these are the days, and the, those days were, it was all, what was, my whole life revolved around crying out for revival, right? Everything's revival, right around the corner. Just any day now, revival, and we would talk about it. And reading in the midst of it also, reading Rick Joyner's The Harvest and some of the stuff that he, and you know, you look at it and you go, well, this, this is powerful stuff, but it's hard to envision some of it. You know, one of the weird things I was just thinking, I remember, I don't know why it stuck out to me. How many people, it's probably, probably haven't read The Harvest in years, but I remember he said, it, the LGBT thing would become so militant that they would walk into churches with bottles of urine and, and like, just to break up, you know, to... And I remember thinking, like, what kind of a sick mind would do such a thing? And now it's just, like, every day, right? The protesters, you know, they're splashing the cops or anyone they disagree with, literally. Like, that's, that's like, one of the main... I was like, wow. Like, just weird little details, the things that... Rick saw that are now here they are like I mean they're not coming in I'm not trying to speak anything to existence but you know what I'm saying it's but then I got 
married and everything's falling apart, and I don't know how to explain it. We got back together. Obviously, we've been married 25 years, but um, it's like a, like a solid month ago, things started getting better. Um, no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. So, um, I basically, the next season of my life was kind of the Moses on the backside of the desert. Like, I was just working and babies, and I was painting and uh, for a living, and... Um, you know, sort of all the vision that the Lord had placed on my heart was all dead. And I didn't, I haven't looked at Elijah's list in, I don't know, probably 20 years. Like, I just checked out of the whole thing. And, and what I'll say is during that season, I, I just didn't have the emotional bandwidth. I was just trying to do basic life, you know, like, you know, build a marriage and raise children and start a business. And I just lost touch with what the prophets are saying, but it was during that season that I fell in love with the biblical prophets. And there's a bit of a difference. Um, during that season, Paul Kane had called both myself and my wife out a handful of times. Like, I love the gift of prophecy and word of knowledge. Some of the things that Paul said, I, would, you know, I used to walk around and pray at night, some people are night owls, some people are morning people back in the day. Now that I have kids, I'm a morning person because you've got to get up early before they destroy the atmosphere. But um, <laughs> you get up in the morning, you sip coffee. Good morning, Lord. It's just us. But um, anyway, I used to walk around at night and, you know, like I would get you know, a handful of times, a few different times, Paul called us. I was just very, and I was just like, God. You're not just real. You really, really, really are really real. Like, you know the thing. Like, when I've been praying, you've been listening. And you told that guy. Like, I appreciate that, but don't tell him too much. Um, kind of thing. But just, like, mind-blowing stuff. And there were things that were just so accurate. But... 20-some-odd, 5, 26, 7 years later, if I'm to be honest, there's elements of things that he said that just, they weren't right. There were some things that were ridiculously mind-blowing, faith-inspiring, only could come from the mind of God. No man could know these things. But then there were other things that he, that he missed. The biblical prophets don't ever get anything wrong. Now, our interpretation of them might be skewed, but what they have to say is, 100% all the time. And so, you know, I started sort of understanding the level of um, the exaltation that I used to put toward the words of some pretty amazing people, Bob Jones, Paul King. I am so excited to see the emergence of Chris Reed. It's, it has absolutely just blown so much of my cynicism away. You know, that cynicism that can accumulate over the years. Very excited about him and, and his involvement here. Um, skip forward. So I, I was a painter for 20-some-odd years. Um, we did sort of specialty artistic stuff. But painters, the wonderful thing about being a painter is you can indoctrinate yourself for hours a day listening to conservative talk radio or anything that you choose. But we chose to listen to Rush Limbaugh and various other things every day. And then I would come home, and I would be very angry. 
and uh, my blood pressure would be up here, and I'm like, Amy, you don't know what these people are trying to do to our country. And she was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've been with the babies all day, and why are you mad? Like, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, why are you arguing with me? You don't care enough. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of exaggerating, but it was kind of funny. I was the political guy, and, and, uh, and you know, she was just like, whatever, like, like, get in touch with our reality, like, we're raising babies and so forth. And then um, I, I retired from painting about five or six years ago. I was doing full-time ministry and painting for probably ten years, and then I transitioned out, long story. But I literally turned off Rush about five years ago. I never listened to him. It was very sad that he passed away. Um, but he was, you know, he was my companion for years, and then the funny thing happened is in the most recent elections, my wife got kind of radicalized. <laughs> and, uh, and she, you know, we're watching the TV on January 6th, and she's kind of like, yes! Don't you think this is awesome? And I'm kind of going, I'm supposed to be the radical here, but I have really mixed feelings. I'm going... I'm seeing all this Jesus stuff, and I'm seeing anger, and I'm seeing this guy with a, with a buffalo on his head. And, you know, I'm kind of like looking at all, and I'm going, there's things here that are good, but it is such an incredible mixture. And my spirit, the, my discernment is saying, caution, caution, you know. But it was, and I'll just be real honest. I'll tell this, this is horrible. It's inappropriate. But I went down to the corner gas station and there was a truck set up and they were selling, this was during the election, you know, they're selling flag, you know, Trump paraphernalia. And, you know, I listened to something in the news and it made me mad and I bought a banner. It said, Trump 2020, no more bull stuff. And I put it up in my garage. And, you know, well, that's, you let your kids see a swear? And they were like, right on, Dad. And, um, <laughs> But then about a week later, I was ashamed, and I ripped it down. I was like, what am I doing, you know? And then uh, a few days later, I put it back up again. <laughs> and then I ripped it down a few days later, and that was the last. It was like I was flip-flopping all over the place, you know, like, yes, Lord, break their jaws. And then, like, Lord, what have I become? You know, like just, it, it's just been a crazy season. But little by little, after January 6th, I was like, no, you wait until April, whatever. And I'm like, I'm waiting. And eventually she just was like, yeah, this was stupid. This was just a bunch of nonsense. You know, all of this stuff that she's reading on social media and so forth. And and um, I don't want to exact, she wasn't like super caught up, but she was pretty caught up in a lot of the QAnon, you know, type of stuff. And finally, at a po certain point, she just went, nah. And I've still got friends that are absolutely convinced that Trump rules the world from a small island off of the coast of Haiti. No, I don't know. Something, you know, whatever, just some weird theory. Uh, yeah, the Virgin Islands, he controls the U.S. military. And, and um, he and, uh, what's it, uh, um, John... Kennedy Jr., you know, no, I'm just kidding. But anyway, oh, let me jump into my message. The point is this. I just want to say this. I love 
biblical prophecy. I, I enjoy the culture that we're part of, which is, Lord, what are you saying in this hour? But if we're to be honest, and, and the Lord does speak, the Lord speaks, and the Lord has people that he's called, but it's not perfect, and they get a lot of stuff wrong. And even in our community, where you know, uh, on the banner of the morning is the eagle. Like it's like kind of like a unique movement that's called to be a prophetic movement. And there's an incredible degree of prof- prophecy that's come out of this movement and similar movements. But if we're to be honest, there we get a lot of stuff wrong too. And as a people that have discernment, we get caught up in the trends of the world and different things. But the word of the Lord, the anchor of our hope, is firm and secure. And so what am I, what am I dancing around? I'm not trying to discourage. I want to go for the gift. It's eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. But personal prophecy, like modern-day subjective prophecy, lowercase p, is to be tested. Why do you test it? Because it's not perfect. The Baptist will say, no, if you get one wrong, we have to stone you to death. And you go, That's, there, there is a distinction between biblical prophets and modern-day New Testament, the gift of prophecy. But in the midst of all of... And, and this, this, it can shipwreck people. It can, it can really confuse people, but here's the thing. The gospel, the story of redemption, the message that the biblical prophets carried, that's capital P. That is unchanging, unflinching. The anchor of our hope is firm and secure. And as we enter into the chaos and the confusion and the storms that are about to sweep through our world like we have no clue. It's so essential that the anchor of our hope is first and foremost the sure word of God. And yes, we're going to continue to pour into and pursue the gift of prophecy. We're going to listen to the present tense word, but we're going to test those things against what the unchanging foundation of the word of God has to say, right? Let's jump in and just look at some scripture um, How many people here have ever really spent a lot of time in the prophecy of Habakkuk? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So about a tenth or less of the room. Habakkuk's not a super, like, what's your favorite book? Habakkuk. It's just not, it's not at the top of the list. This is, Habakkuk has an amazing word for our nation for this hour. Habakkuk loved, he he was a nationalist, he was a patriot, he lived in the southern kingdom of Judah, he loved the promises that were part of the foundation of the kingdom, the covenants that God made with David, one from, will come forth from you, who will rule on your throne forever, and he was part of that kingdom, now the northern kingdom of Israel had already been unfaithful, let's just call it Canada, no I'm just kidding, where's... Where's, there's a woman that came up that was from Canada, I'm just playing. Um, the northern kingdom had been unfaithful and been carried away and judged by the Assyrians. And so Habakkuk's down in the southern kingdom of Judah. He loved his nation. He loved the kingdom of Judah. He was also an intercessor. At the foundation of who Habakkuk was, 
he was crying out to the Lord. So Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. And he says, How long, O Lord, will I call out for help? How long will I intercede and cry out? And you don't hear. You don't seem to be answering. And he says, I cry out to you, and I'm, and I'm in distress. He says, Violence. He goes, Look at my people. Look at what's happening to my nation. It's filled with violence. Yet you don't seem to be sending revival. You don't seem to be intervening. The wicked are becoming more violent, and I'm crying, I'm crying out, Lord, in the days of old, renew your acts. You know, this. And it seems like you don't even hear. It seems like you're not answering me. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on so much wickedness? Great little bit of pastoral advice. When you get up in the morning, don't open your laptop first. Open the Bible. And you'll do so much better emotionally. It's just, you know, the Pink Floyd, you know, every day the paper boy brings more. Like just, the, it's just more depressing. You open the lap. You don't even need to wait for the little harbinger of doom. You just open your laptop and you're just like, Ugh. can you relate? It's every day it's just this perpetual sigh, just, oh. Why do you make me look on so much wickedness? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists. Contention arises. The law is ignored. And justice, it seems like it's never upheld. The wicked surround the righteous. Justice is perverted. He was dealing with an incredibly similar moment in Judah's history that we're dealing with. The, the decay, the moral decline, the lack of moral governance, of righteous leadership, of on and on and on. Like it's easy to complain with what's going on. And for what it's worth, you can say, you can feel this way 100% regardless as to which side of the political spectrum or let's just say which party you vote for. The lack of justice um, from a Christian perspective, from a racial perspective, from, I mean, just on and on and on you can go. There is just reasons to be grieved. So then, verse 5, this is one of these great verses that people always quote. They'll get up and read it. You know, like it's a wonderful thing. Look among the nations, the Lord responds. He says, Habakkuk, I, I hear you. He says, look among all the nations and observe. Pay attention. Be astonished. Wonder. I am about to do something in your days that you would not believe it, even if I told you. Now, people quote that as, they, Thus saith the Lord, the Lord's about to do something in your midst that you wouldn't even believe it. And everyone's like, woohoo! It's a really bad thing. It reminds me, you know the little like calendars? It'll be like, you know, what's today? December 5th. It'll say December 5th, with a little inspirational verse at the bottom. I saw one one time, and I looked at it, and it was quoting Daniel, and it said, he will perform his will and prosper. And that was supposed to be inspirational, and I looked at it, and I was like, that's the Antichrist. It's talking, like, the verse in Daniel is talking, but they put it on, like, this inspirational quote, like, yes, Lord, I, on this day, I just remember, I will perform it. No, it's talking about the Antichrist. So this is similar. Like, people quote it in a positive sense. Look at the next verse, 6 through 7. The Lord says, you wouldn't believe what I'm about to do. 
Behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. That fierce and impetuous people, what do they do? They march throughout the earth to seize places that are not theirs. They're dreaded and feared. Their justice and their authority originate with themselves. Verse 8 through 9, their horses are swifter than leopards, keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They swoop in like an eagle to devour. <laughs> Did, you, oh, Did you guys see that viral video? It was just somebody had a camera in their backyard, and um, there's all these farm animals like a goat and chickens, and this, this hawk swoops down and grabs a chicken. And then this other chicken runs over and starts fighting against the hawk. And then out of nowhere, a goat comes running across the yard and butts the hawk and saves the chicken. I cried. I literally, I was like, yes, the goat! You know, because it's just all these like hopeless, dumb little backyard farm animals and the, and the evil hawk flies anyway. Swooping in like an eagle to devour. The goat and the chickens like each other. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces move forward. They collect captives like sand. So think about this. The prophet, he's crying out, Lord. You know what I mean? Like, this is the pattern. Send revival. God goes, Habakkuk, I want what you want. I want a people that are fully righteous. But there's a certain point where simply sending revival in the sense that a national revival you know, in, in Judah, it would have been one and the same. You know, with the whole, all of the, the, the great awakening, that was the phrase that came out of the Q thing, that was more of a national revival of America and so forth. And at times it would be intertwined with a, a biblical revival, but although it's similar language, a great awakening, it was actually very different than what we're normally crying out for, which is first and foremost for the Lord to pour out his spirit on all flesh that people would come to faith. Not just that they would be excited about the Constitution. Sometimes those things can be intertwined, but sometimes they're not. In Judah, they would have been really intertwined. And the Lord goes like, I want the same thing that you do. But my method of attaining it is I'm sending the Babylonians. I'm sending, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. But his discipline is not just sometimes just like a little spanking. And what he's talking about here is the destruction of the kingdom. Like you read the story, I mean, the vast majority were killed. The remnant were carried away into exile. A few residue were left in the land. The last thing the king saw was them killing his sons, and then they gouged his eyes out with hot irons and then didn't kill him, led him away into captivity, like brutal stuff. I'll finish verse 10 through 11. They mock kings, and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress. They heap up rubble to capture it. They sweep through like the wind and pass on. And then the Lord, I love that the Lord's like, I'm going to use the Babylonians as my rod of chastisement. And then he goes, but I'm going to hold them accountable. Yeah. So he just kind of adds that little thing, but don't worry, they will be judged. It's sort of a side note. So that's chapter one. And I, and I want to be clear, I'm not... I'm not saying that's what's coming to the United States, although, you know, if you do listen to the words of the prophets. So back in the day, you know, Elijah list, it's all, um, I don't want to joke too much, but you know what I'm saying. 2022 is the year of new beginnings. We're going to turn a corner and there's going to be new levels of glory. You know, like, you can pretty much just recycle the same things, but it's all 
positive, for the most part, I don't know. But when you read the harvest, there's a mixture of good and bad mixed together. There's the good and the bad, right? There's, I don't, you know, even Bob Jones, I think, saw foreign troops on American soil, didn't he? Yeah, like that's a pretty serious thing. You're not going to see that on the Elijah list. I'm not picking on the Elijah list. I'm just saying there's a culture, a subculture within our culture that is, well, we're only going to focus on the revival and the positive things. Was it um, uh, Simon and Garfunkel? Still a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. La, 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 you know, la, 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 la. It's the nature of man. We, we focus on the things we like and we ignore the rest. The, you can see people in the Bible do that. The word was there, you know, books like The Harvest, there's prophecies that speak of the negative. But for the most part, we didn't really pay much attention to those until it's here, until it's almost here. And again, I'm not, I'm not prophesying. I'm, I don't know what's going to happen. But in Habakkuk, he lays out the proper biblical response. So I want to take a little diversion to help understand Habakkuk chapter 3. So I want to talk about the coming of the Lord. Oh, go back. Yep. Oh. Okay. So go to the next slide. Let's see if it's there. Okay. I'm going to read another verse that's... that's um, it's not in the slides. So the foundation for all biblical prophecy concerning the coming of Jesus, the very first introduction in kernel is um, Genesis 3.15. So this is, the fall has happened. I mean, like immediately, corruption, death, the fall has taken place. And the Lord makes this declaration to the serpent. And he says, I will put enmity, conflict, between you and the woman. And then he speaks of this seed line of descendants. He speaks of the seed line of the woman and the seed line of the serpent. Now, to be clear, Satan has not literally had physical children. It's in the sense that Jesus said, you know, your father is the devil. You desire the thing, you know, you follow his will, etc." There's an element where there is a physical side on the woman's side, right? Because we know the story, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, etc. But it's much bigger than that. We're not. But out of each one of these seed lines comes an ultimate seed. The Messiah on one, doesn't call him the Messiah yet, but in retrospect, we know that's who it's talking about. And on the other side, essentially, is the Antichrist. And it inter- So first, it's plural. You know, I will put conflict between your seed and her seed, plural. Because the word zera in Hebrew, it's just like English, seed, a bag of seed, plural, a single seed, one, deer, seed, whatever. And then he focuses in on the singular masculine. He just, entry, we don't know anything about him. He just says, he is going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your skull. And that's the introduction of the good news of the Bible is the day is coming when the serpent's skull is going to be crushed once and for all. And from that point forward, the righteous were defined as those that were waiting. And that's what they did. They were like, is is this the one? Every time a boy was born, they're like, could this be the one? Could this be the one? And they're yearning and waiting. The righteous are defined as those who wait. Now, I want to be someone who is crying out for and waiting for revival, but my primary focus of waiting and hoping 
we can have the greatest revival in the past thousand years. That's exciting. People pouring into the church, but the end of it will still leave you partially disappointed. Even the greatest revival in human history is still going to let us down. But there's something that will not let us down, which is the return of Jesus, the establishment of his kingdom on the earth. We will see him in our glorified, resurrected bodies with our eyeballs. We get to smell the aroma of Jerusalem, the wafting of the burnt off of the meats. And then for the hippies, the, the incense. Like we'll smell it with our noses after we die, after our bodies rot in the ground, if he doesn't come first, we will be raised up. We will hear the sounds of the choir singing in the temple. We'll smell the fragrance of the... You know what I'm saying? Like, there's verses in... My dad was a commercial fisherman, passed away uh, last year. and um, we're, There's verses in Ezekiel that talk about fishing. You know, I used to talk to my dad, like, Dad, after you die, we're going fishing in our bodies on a body of water. You know what I mean? Like, there's substance to the age to come. It's not just we go to heaven forever. Yes, if we die today, our spirits will be with him, but we're waiting the anchor of our hope, the, return, the blessed hope, the return of Jesus. We're not just going to sing about him with our eyes closed and try to picture him. Or We're going to see him with our eyes open, right? That won't let us down. Uh, and I'm going to cry out for revival. But there's something much bigger, something much more central that is our ultimate primary focus that is the finish line, the goal line. So he says the day is coming. And inherent in this statement is that this one is coming, the day is coming. when Now, at the cross, it is as good as done. He has sealed it. It is finished. It is the, the eventual crushing of Satan's skull is guaranteed, but his skull hasn't been crushed yet. He is still presently the God of this world. The ultimate crushing comes when the divine warrior comes back from heaven in blazing fire and slays the wicked. It's yet in the future. We live in the sort of, it's, it's as good as done, but it's not presently here. Okay, so that's the foundation for all messianic prophecy. Now, I want to look at some verses concerning the coming of the Lord. Matthew 24, Jesus describes his own return in verse 27. We're all familiar with this. And Rick actually, Rick Joyner, referenced this uh, some years ago, and I was really like, huh, I mean, this is probably like in the 90s, I remember reading him t talking about this verse. And it, it tweaked me, and it always rested with me, and I'm going to talk about so it says, for just as lightning comes from the east and it flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So he's describing his own return. Now, which way does the lightning flash when it flashes? Any which way it wants to. Yeah, it, yeah <laughs> technically it bounces out of the earth and what, it's invisible and then... But it doesn't go from the east to the west. It could go from the west to the east. It could go from the east to the west and the east and the north all at the same time. Right? I mean, it's just... So you read this and you go... What, the word there, lightning, can also be translated as a beam of light. And that's how it should be translated. It's not talking about lightning. It's talking about the light of the dawn. This is what Rick talked about. Now, it's not... 
saying that the return of the Lord is going to be this slow, gradual thing that rises like the morning. Gradually, the point is to communicate that it's going to be obvious, undeniable. He's like, look, if you hear there's some like insurrectionist messianic movement out in the desert, we're going to throw off the Romans just like Joseph, uh, the Maccabees, you know, 100 200 years prior, like, don't follow them. It's not going to be like, ooh, is, is, you know, is the Messiah there at the gathering place? Like, we got to get, no, he goes, it's going to be like light, like, and then he goes on and he says, for where the bodies are, there the vultures will gather. And there's all kinds of weird conversation. What does that mean? All he was saying is the same thing. It's going to be obvious. Like, you guys, well, I was looking out, I, I think it was right here, I don't know where it was, and I saw a whole bunch of turkey vultures, do you guys call them turkey vultures? Flying around. When you see a bunch of turkey vultures, what does it mean? It means that Joel Richardson is in town. It, no, it doesn't. It only means one thing. There's a there's a carcass, right? You can see it from afar. It's obvious. Just he just gave a couple analogies. He's just going. You, you're not going to miss it. It's not going to be like, ooh, is the Messiah? No, it's it's going to be in your face. Is the point? But he uses the language of the rising of the sun. What Jesus was thoroughly Old Testament literate guy, right? Obviously, he is the word of God. Um, but he grew up, you know, as a human reading these things in the synagogue. So I want to look at a few verses, passages, from which the language of the rising of the sun is applied to the return of Jesus. And it's not just, again, the slow, gradual thing, but it's the language of the radiant, shining glory of the majestic God-man marching in a royal procession from the south to take his throne in Jerusalem, as he sets the prisoners free, it's a beautiful picture. The Old Testament details the return of Jesus in vivid, glorious detail. And we just read like Revelation 19 and skip all these other beautiful passages. But one of the other primary foundational texts is Deuteronomy 33. This is called the blessing of Moses. And it's the last words of Moses before he dies. And it says this, this is a prophecy about the return of Jesus. Now, let me just say a few things. The Lord came from Sinai. The word there came, in the Hebrew, it's in the perfect tense. So when, in the Hebrew, if something's in the perfect tense, it can be translated just as legitimately past tense, present tense, ongoing tense, or future tense. Any of the above and translators choose tense based on the context of a passage. So translators look at this and they go, okay, the Lord, he's coming from Sinai. This must just be talking about the Exodus. And so they make it past tense, universally. It can just as legitimately, and I would argue should be, based on the way that Jesus interpreted this and all the writers of the New Testament as future tense. The Lord will come from Sinai. And it's describing the return of Jesus. Because the... Jesus is the greater Moses, and there's a degree to where he actually retraces the Exodus when he returns, and that's a whole thing. But So just, I hate to say, take my word for it, but I don't have time to. But the Lord will come from Sinai. He will dawn on them. From Seir is the region of Edom, modern-day Jordan. Sinai is down there in Saudi Arabia. He will shine forth from Mount Paran, another prominent mountain, presently on the border of Jordan and Saudi Arabia. He's described, the Lord is described as a man, 
uh, like in anthropomorphic form, two arms, two legs, shining like the sun, shining over the tallest mountains to the south of Israel, radiating light coming up toward Jerusalem. He came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones. That's, all of that language is, defines the return of Jesus in the New Testament. He comes from heaven. Obviously, when the Lord comes from heaven, he comes from heaven. But here he is marching from the region of the south with 10,000 holy ones or angels. That's always applied to the return of Jesus. At his right hand, he's got hands. Lightning is shooting out of his hands. This is not like a, a Marvel Avengers movie or you know, something. Like, but it's just crazy to think back then they had a picture of this man with lightning. You know, is it lightning or, again, is it rays of light shooting out of his hands? So it's a beautiful, wild picture. But what commentators, they'll go, oh, this is just like, we know God didn't literally walk as a man shooting lightning out of his hands during the Exodus. It's just flamboyant, exaggerated language. No, this is the first prophecy in the Bible about the return of Jesus. We have the, the introductory passages about this one that's going to be the seed of Eve and the seed of Abraham and the seed of Judah and David. You know, he has to be a human but then here, there's also this other you know, almost contradictory picture of God coming from heaven in glory. And, you know, so the idea that the return of that the coming of Jesus, there would be two, you know, his first coming and his second, that's not a New Testament teaching. It's thoroughly an Old Testament. It's not some unique, novel Christian doctrine. It is an Old Testament, biblical doctrine that was well understood by the Jews of the first century. Okay, so... Genesis 3.15 is a foundational prophecy. Deuteronomy 33 is a foundational prophecy. Now look, look at this, Isaiah 60, also talking about the return of the Lord. Arise and shine for your light. And I always want to just put, has finally come. Like you can feel the verse just pregnant with expectation. For your light has come. Imagine reading this as a Jew. For thousands of years, your people have been persecuted, hated, attacked, driven, murdered, executed, no matter where you are. And all of a sudden, there's this promise. You've got this book that says, someday God is coming. And you just you can't avoid the arise, be radiant, shine, for your light has come. The now, notice it exchanges the language of the glory of the Lord with the simple language of light, of the dawning. For the glory of the Lord has risen. It's risen like the morning sun upon you. You can feel it on your skin on a warm day. For behold, darkness will cover the earth. It's always darkest just before the dawn. And it's talking about right now. Deep darkness, the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. That promise is unflinching, unchanging. You can bet your eternal destiny we will see as real as this moment is real right now. We will see that and feel it and experience it. Whether we're prepared for it or not, he will rise upon us. We will see his, we actually will be with him. But notice the repeat language of the, the glory of the Lord, the shining of the light, the rising of the sun. And finally, Malachi chapter 4, verse, two, uh, verse 1. Again, the context of this is the day of the Lord. Behold, the day is coming. It's burning like a furnace. All of the arrogant and every evildoer will become like chaff, like ash. 
That day is coming and it will set them ablaze. It's pretty intense language, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Every leaf, every twig, every branch, even down to the root, will be consumed with the fire, the all-consuming fire. Go to the next slide. On the other hand, for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And then we will go forth and skip like a silly little excited baby cow. I love it, right? You know, like a goat. Look at that little fellow. He's getting into mischief. Woohoo! You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, they're just so cute. We will skip about like calves from the stall. Like, what a contrast. But it's the language of relief of when you've been waiting for something so long, you've given up, you've died a thousand deaths to it, and then it's finally here. And like a, like a baby, cute little baby animal, you're just skipping, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I love the picture. Okay, but notice just consistently the return of the Lord, the language is used, the rising of the sun. It's just, that's almost a side point, but it's such a beautiful thing. Now we're going to look at Habakkuk's vision, chapter 3. So the Lord basically said to Habakkuk, he goes, you're an intercessor, you love your nation, I do too, but here's what I'm going to do, I'm sending the Babylonians. But then he does something. He gives Habakkuk in chapter 3 the most detailed, glorious vision of the return of Jesus in the entire Old Testament. That's a gift, that's a kiss. Now, it was thousands of years off. He would not live to see it. He would be raised up to see it. But even though it would not be seen in his day, even though it was a yes off in the distant future, it was in this vision that he was encouraged and that he, uh, again, how do you get through the darkness that's coming? The Lord gave him a vision. He put a vision of the return, our ultimate hope, the blessed hope, the anchor of hope. He gave Habakkuk a clear picture of that. And if there's something that we need as the body to get through the storms ahead is, again, to, be, to have the eyes of our heart, the meditations of our heart. We need to talk more about. We need to meditate more. We need to get excited. We need to push into and root ourselves in the unchanging hope, okay? That, that we have a lot of other things that we've been putting our hope in. Again, I'm hoping for revival. I'm hoping for a great awakening in the United States, and I'm going to pray for those things, and I want to aim high. But I don't know what's, I, ultimately, if I'm to be honest, I don't know what's coming. But I know that this is unchanging. So Habakkuk, this begins, it's a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigayanoth, which commentators say it means it was some type of a song. Uh, it was a song, language of a song. And we see that later because you'll see Selah, Selah, Selah throughout it. And then at the end it says, to be sung I don't I remember how it says it, like on stringed instruments or something. It, chapter 3 is a vision, but it's written in the form of a psalm. And then he says, Lord, I've heard the report of you. In other words, like, I heard what you said. You're sending the Babylonians, and I'm filled with fear. And he still, as an intercessor, he goes, even though you told me what you're going to do, nevertheless, I'm just going to add one little last word, Lord. In the midst of wrath, remember mercy. You know, like, I know you said you're pouring out your wrath, and that's your response, but please still remember mercy in the midst of it. So that's the cry of an intercessor. And I know this sounds weird, but at times, 
even Moses, at times an intercessor fights with God. You go, what? Yeah, like the Lord's like, get out of my way, Moses. And just to, and Moses goes, not so, Lord. Like, usually, you know what I mean? Like, that's crazy. You go, because Lord, I know who you are. I know who you are, and I know that, you know, your, word, your name would be, uh, it would be looked down upon among the nations if you just started over. He goes, no. But for the sake of who you are, the compassionate, you know, be that. And the Lord goes, okay. You know, it's like, so he's kind of do. Habakkuk sort of has that same spirit. But then Habakkuk says this in verse 3 through 4. The Lord gives Habakkuk an almost identical vision to the blessing of Moses, Deuteronomy 33. It's almost identical, very similar language. God comes from Timan. Now, Timan means the south. So God will come from the south. But notice here, it's God, right? Like if you have any question concerning the divinity of the Messiah, it's God's coming from the south. The Holy One from Mount Paran. Habakkuk 3 referred to the Mount Paran. Again, some of these prominent mountains to the south. Selah. His splendor will cover the skies. The earth will be full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hands where his power is hidden, where it is the hiding of his power. The picture is almost like the veil of flesh that he will carry for eternity is almost can't contain the radiant, shining glory of God, and it's like bursting forth out. I mean, either that or it's just kind of like the Avengers, Iron Man, you know. Bad guy. <laughs> Sorry for using you as an example. <laughs> but you get the idea. Yeah, either it's judgment or it's just the glory is breaking forth. This is what the Lord shows Habakkuk and then verse 5 through 7. It uses Exodus language. Before him goes pestilence. Plague comes after him. He stood and he surveyed the earth. He looked and he made the nations tremble. Yes, the perpetual mountains are shat. So it's talking about the, the falling of the nations as, quite frankly, the divine God-man, a Jewish man, is coming back to engage in a hostile takeover of the planet. I mean, I mean just to put it in earthly terms... Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. There's something there about that. Just like he's engaging in a hostile takeover of the earth. Lightning, rays shooting out of his hands. Pestilence goes before him. It's this procession from the south. And he's just, he just stands and surveys the earth. It, I, I know this is a horrible, but it reminds me so much in Psalm 110 where it talks about the Messiah and it says, he will slay king, crush kings on the day of his wrath, heaping up the bodies. And then it says, he will drink by the brook. And, you know, it's just kind of like he just, he just conquers the whole earth. And then, he, and then he, like, just walks over and takes a drink. And he's just like, mission accomplished. You know, like, didn't even break a sweat. Kind of like, I hate to say, hold my beer. But, you know, you get the idea. He just stood, stands and surveys the earth and... The nations are crumbling all His ways are everlasting. And then I saw the tents of Cushan trembling in the land of Midian. So again, this is the land down by Sinai. Southern Jordan, modern day Saudi Arabia, northwest, that area. They're down, because that's where he's coming from. So Habakkuk sees this vision of the majestic one. Pestilence going before him, plague. Psalm 68 describes this royal procession. And it says, I love this um, uh, Cameron and 
Susie. It says the singers go before him and the, the women with tambourines go behind. Like the worship leaders, like the, it's a crazy picture when you put them all together. Plagues and pestilences, lightning shooting out of his hands. He's setting the captives free. One minute they're captives, the next minute they're singing. The worship leaders are in front of, I mean, it's just like something out of the Hobbit on steroids, like this just, you know what I mean? Like just this beautiful picture. And, and I, I always laugh because it says the, the women with tambourines in the back because the women with the tambourines all smell like patchouli. So they put, they, they put, they put them in the back. But that's beside the point. Verse 12 through 13, I'm just playing. In indignation, you will march through the earth. In anger, you will trample the nations. You will, you will come forth for our salvation. You will go forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed ones. That is a promise. You will, I love this. You will strike the head of the house of evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. It's a pretty graphic picture. There's one translation that says from tail to neck. Some, does it say lay him open? Yeah, that's a good, trans, I mean, all translations are a little bit different. It's talking about the Antichrist, who's basically Satan's sock puppet. But here's the thing. Now, notice this. Genesis 3.15 talks about the Messiah as the crushing one, who at the end of the age, the ultimate seed that will come from the righteous line is going to crush the head of Satan. But then you have this other prophecy, this other tradition that Moses starts that talks about Yahweh coming from heaven in glory. Habakkuk intertwines both of them. The language of him crushing the head of the house of evil. Well, that's referring to the human of Genesis 3.15. And then by the time you get to Habakkuk, you go, no, they're both the same person. The one that's going to be born, the seed of Eve, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David. He's, he has to be born as a human. The time is coming when he's coming forth from heaven in radiant, shining glory and fire with all of his angels with him to execute vengeance against the wicked. So now I'm starting to bring this down to a landing. We're called to love our enemies, to pray for our enemies. And then you have these passages where David says things like, break their jaws, O God. You go, how are we supposed to is there room for us as Christians to pray these things? And I go, I want to be careful because I don't, you know, because you, you can take it too far. You're like, Janet next door didn't shovel her driveway. Break her jaw, oh Lord. You know what I mean? Like you can become a little too, or whatever, you know, Joe Biden, you know, type of thing. We're supposed to be interceding for our enemies, but there's also an element where, there's a holy place for imprecatory prayers, these, these psalms where we say, Lord, crush the wicked. Lord, come. Maranatha, Lord, bring about speedily the day of justice. The whole earth is crying out for justice. When, O oh Lord, will you put an end? When will you silence the mouth of fools? And it's getting so real, guys. I, my... I, we did homeschooling, and then we did Christian school, and now I've got five kids, the last tail end, long story, but we're, we're doing public school. And it's actually worked out quite well, but my 10-year-old is the one 
who really hasn't experienced the previous, you know, homeschooling, Christian school. He's, and literally a few weeks ago, I got a call from the counselor, and there's an 11-year-old girl in his sixth grade class who is halfway through surgery to become a boy. And he called, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's evil. And my son called her a she. And he got in big trouble for it. I won't get into all the details of what I said to the counselor. But, um, well, you can come in and we can explain it to you if you want. And I'm like, ha, <laughs> um, I know, I, I did. I said, I said, look, I said, I'll be honest with you. I said, you know, there's a temptation on my part to go along with what you're saying because I don't want my son to pay the price. I don't want him to get in trouble. I said, We're, we teach our kids to be kind to everyone. I said, but you know as well as I do. And my son knows full well that she is not a boy. And I said, yeah, I'll tell him to play your game so that he doesn't get suspended. I said, but I, this is ridiculous and you know it and I know it. And she was so mad. I don't need to come in and have you lecture me. Thank you very much. But it, this is not just in the news. I mean, this is real. Like, and that's just, that's nothing. That's nothing. But there's a growing sense in me. There's an anger and at times even a carnal rage but there is a holy place, and it's coming, and it's coming quickly, where the church will learn the holy place of praying these prayers, come Lord, bring about the day of justice. And we're going to look at just a couple of verses that tie into this, and then wrap it up. But just to say, we need to be careful, I want to be clear, we need to be very careful with some of this stuff in terms of how we run with it. But there is comfort. There is tremendous comfort in knowing that, like, if we just turn our cheeks forever and there's not a day of justice, then this entire thing that we're following is just, you could call it, it's not Christianity, it's just wimpism. There's a day of justice. Humanity yearns for justice. All of us, and the earth is filled with injustice. The nature of his kingdom is the foundations of which are righteousness and justice forevermore. And it's good to yearn for those things. We say, Lord, give them the gift of repentance just like me, the stupid former weed dealer. You know what I mean? Like, or whoever you were. Lord, give them the gift of repentance. But if not, bring about justice and bring it about quickly. So I'm going to read the rest of Malachi that we looked at earlier. For you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. It's beautiful. And then it says this. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. And that's intended to be a word of encouragement. I have no desire to have anyone as ashes under the soles of my feet, but then again, I'm not the Lord, and I don't see and feel and hear the cries. You think about it, there's more slaves in the earth right now than at any time in human history. There's little girls, you know, right now, five years old, kept in cages to be exploited by some creepy 50-year-old American doctor. You know, I mean, like, to this visiting wherever, Cambodia. You know, like, that's not conspiracy theory. That's real. There's millions, and they don't have a great, you know, maybe they're 14, maybe they're 7. I mean, but you go, 5 years old? I did 
back when I was doing painting, I did some painting for ministry, and we created this sort of like it was we we're trying to recreate a brothel from Cambodia. So I'd make the walls all look drippy and old, and the bars all rusty, and you know. And they sent these these relics from the brothel, a box of stuff that. And um, I have four daughters, and uh, I just I can't. It's just there was uh, I can't ever even tell the story. There was a pair of pajamas, and they were about this big, like a little body, and they were covered with blood. From some little girl, I was like four or five years old, being raped, and someone's making money off of that. Yeah. It's oh, and to think the Lord hears the cries of millions. Yeah. And it's okay if, we, if our heart is joined with his heart. It's okay to be filled with anger. Yes, we say, Lord, send repentance, of course. The Lord's will is that none would perish, but there is a day of justice. If not, this entire existence makes no sense whatsoever. It's just a big chaotic mess, a nightmare, with, with some elements of beauty and a lot of nightmare mixed in. But there is a day of justice. Nothing makes sense apart from that day. Psalm 68, this is also part of this beautiful prophecy about the return of the Lord. It's intense. Our God is a God of salvation. An escape from death belongs to the Lord our God, to Yahweh our Adonai. Surely God will crush the head of his enemies, the hairy brow of him who goes down in his guilty acts. Those who refuse to repent but who go down in their guilt, he will crush not just the Antichrist, not just Satan, but his followers as well. The Lord said, I will bring... At the resurrection of the unrighteous at the end of the millennium, he says, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea so that your feet may bathe in their blood and our dogs may lick their blood. It's basically what it says. Our dogs' tongues may have their share from their enemies. How many people here have like a little poodle or something, like a little licky dog? (laughs) Uh, I don't know why. It's just a... Habakkuk 3.16... After, ha- after having this vision of the return of Jesus, Habakkuk says, I heard. He goes like, this is a horrible news that you've just given me. You've told me my nation is going to be destroyed. Things that I love are falling apart, melting away. He goes, I heard my inward parts were trembling. My lips were quivering. It was like rottenness enters my bones. I'm trembling. Because I have to wait patiently for the day to come to destroy the people that are invading us. I have to watch them do their evil deeds, and that's terrifying. But then he says this, though the fig tree should not blossom, there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and fields produce no food, you know, there's not a national great awakening. It's very, I hate to make light of it, but it's very Eeyore. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold, Though there be no cattle in the stalls, nevertheless, despite all of the gloom and the doom and the bad news, and it returns to this this language, I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Why? Because of present circumstances? No, because he has seen a vision of the return of the Lord and he knows the day is coming. He's seen it with his spiritual eyes. He says, the Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds' feet. He, you know, like the feet of a deer leaping on the mountains. 
and he makes me walk on the high places. There it is for the choir director on stringed instruments. And here's the cool thing is because this is a psalm, and this is a little bit speculation, but I like to dream or imagine. When the Jews were in exile and there were no places to meet, they would meet by, at the town center by the river. It was just kind of a universal thing. You know, where do we meet? We meet by the rivers. If there's no synagogue, you meet by the river. And so you think, Habakkuk was before Judah, you know, obviously before they were destroyed, the Lord said it's coming. But just, you know, maybe 150 years later, to imagine, and it's, it's, not un, it's not impossible, that men like Daniel, the prophet Daniel, men like Ezekiel, Shadrach, Meshach, and the exiles, gathered together by the rivers of Babylon, their nation had just been decimated, and they would sing Habakkuk 3 together. In their lifetime, 70 plus years, they wouldn't even see the return, but they would encourage one another They would weep, yes, but they would say the day is coming when the majestic one will march from the south, shining like the radiant light, and they encourage themselves. That was the issue. It was not, yeah, I know we're over here in Babylon, but next week Trump's going to engage the military and everything's going to change, you know, whatever. Like It was, we don't know how far off it is, we don't know the timing, but the day is coming when the majestic one is going to march set the prisoners free, and deliver us. So let me just end with, and then what will happen is people go, yeah, Joel, that's all good and fine, but that's all in the Old Testament, so it doesn't count. (laughs) So let me just end with one final verse in the New from the words of our brother Paul, Romans 16, verse 20. Be encouraged. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, our feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. All right.